Welcome to a special edition of the Notre Dame Stories Podcasts. I'm your host, Andy Fuller. Today, we're taking you to the farm, St. Joseph's Farm, to be exact. It's a place a few miles from campus with a history dating back to the days of Notre Dame's founder, Father Edward Soren. The farm has been home to many religious brothers who worked the land to help provide food for the university. And as Notre Dame Stories' Brendan O'Shaughnessy tells us, it's the dawn of a new day for St. Joseph's Farm, one in which it will sustain the university in other ways. I came to the community in 1947, after I graduated from high school. When Brother Richard Huber joined the Holy Cross Order in 1947, the religious community owned farms all across the country. Then I went out to St. Joseph's Farm. They needed somebody to milk cows. And they had had 100 cows. We went out and they lived there the farm was owned by the university, and all the produce off the farm went, went to the university. Brother Huber is one of only two brothers left who worked at St. Joseph's Farm. The historic property is about 1,600 acres and located seven miles northeast of campus. Notre Dame founder Father Edward Soren bought the land in 1867. Religious brothers staffed the farm for 125 years before they stopped working the soil themselves in 1995. And I uh, was there about 15 years milking cows. Then they, uh, they they sold them and they went into beef. And we, uh, we had, 350 head of steers. We fattened out every year. When I came to the community, we had 10, 10 farms. Now we don't have any. They're all, they're all gone. For centuries, religious communities have provided for themselves in the tradition of ancient monasteries. But times have changed. Small farms have mostly disappeared across the country as modern technology has made it possible for fewer farmers to cultivate more and more land. Fewer men were joining the religious communities, and almost none knew how to farm. Brother Paul Kelly was the last brother to live on St. Joseph's farm. He sold it in 2008 after it had been leased out to another farmer for over a decade. You know, I love St. Joe Farm. It was a great place to live. Brother Kelly recently visited the farm to have his picture taken there. On a warm day in April, he arrived early to enjoy the breeze and the peace on the porch of the former brother's residence. Looking through the pine trees to his left, he could see a handful of grain bins and corn silos. To the right were several barns for cows and horses that have stood for over a century. Beyond were fields of corn and soybeans stretching to the Indiana Toll Road, 
as well as a field of solar panels. I came to check out Hornet Garage in 1957. Okay. And when I, uh, they took me out there when I visited here, mm -hmm. and it was a big dairy farm. They had uh, 200 head of Holsteins out there. That fall, they sold out. That was the end right. of the dairy. And then they went in to feed our cattle, and uh, then they went out of the feeder cattle business. So they, they stopped farming because we didn't have any more about it and more brothers to farm. Mm. Don Dunn had been there 50 years, and uh, he was uh, he was wore out. The history of St. Joseph's Farm goes back further than Brother Kelly's first visit in 1957, or even Brother Huber's arrival in 1948. Father Soren bought the swampy parcel to use as a peat bog. He wanted to burn the peat for heat in campus fireplaces. It's not clear whether the French priest brought a European concept to America, but it didn't work out. By 1873, Notre Dame bought new woodlands to produce logs for their fireplaces. Still, the brothers who helped Soren found the university dutifully took up farming on the property. For the first 60 years, Holy Cross and Visitation nuns worked there too. I had no choice. I wasn't from a farm, but when I went, went when I came in the community, that's where I was needed, and that's where I started, and that's where I I did that for 50 years. I was a Joe farm. We lived like like farmers, mm -hmm. and all, all we did was farm work, and, and we had uh, a priest for a dairy that was our dairyman. And he said mass for us every day. Well, I got up at three in the morning and milked our cows. And by five o'clock, we were all back in the house again. Alongside a changing cast of hired hands, the tradition of religious farming lasted 125 years at St. Joseph's Farm. It was the life and blood of Notre Dame. And when we were out there early years of that farm, Brother Lawrence was the man who brought the, the milk in every day. And they said that he drove in and then slept all the way back home because the horses knew where they were going. They provided the milk and the eggs and apples, milk, eggs, and apples, and meat for Notre Dame. They made the wine for, for the Basilica. All the, the altar wine was made by the brothers. So they provided, I mean, you know, <laughs> they had meat, potatoes, and, and that went on until whenever the government said you can't do it anymore, when it all has to go through a certain process, you know. Brother Kelly sold the farm to Paul and Kathy Blum in 2008. Years ago, Paul Blum went to graduate school at Notre Dame, and one of the brothers invited him to see the farm. And I get out here, I thought it was the Twilight Zone, with so many big buildings and it was really a different place. And so uh, that's when I actually set foot on the farm and looked at it and said, wow, this really is different. And so unbelievably, that was 1982. And then 2007, 18, that's, well, that's 25 years later, I got a chance. I said, I said to myself, what will ever happen to that place? Because the brothers really weren't doing much farming anymore. and. Little did I know that I knew what would happen to it. We'd buy it. 
I had a farm background from the eighth grade on back in New York. And uh, we had a chance to buy a Christmas tree farm up in Michigan and we bought it. And then I started paying attention and opportunities present themselves. Farms were cheap, rents were halfway decent, and it was obvious that there was opportunity. So we just didn't quit. At every opportunity, we kept buying and buying and working it out. And then 2007 came along. The opportunity at the St. Joe Farm presented itself. An auction company came to me and said, here's an opportunity. And we said yes. Small family farms have been declining across America since the 1970s. Paul Blum knew that family farmers still wanted to farm, but didn't have the size to take advantage of the best technology. His innovation was to buy large amounts of land to combine and lease back to the farmers who wanted to stay. To put succinctly is, all family farms died in America. We devised a way to make them survive if they got more acres. Because they lacked the economy of scale. They lacked, they lacked uh, vertical integration. And they weren't into the true maximizing of everything, the opportunity with technology and the greatest inventions on the farm and the best practice. All those things improved when they got bigger. But it's what I call family's farm replaced the family farm. A tour of the farm's buildings and barns conjures images of the bustling place it once was. A consultant told the Blums to knock down all the old buildings and start over. But they said they felt like stewards of the legacy of the brothers' community, and they chose not to tear it down. The historical, the Notre Dame historical quality of the place was undeniable, and we just, we couldn't do it. We just couldn't do it. We wanted to be good stewards of the property and see what we could do to bring in the community, but help stay afloat as well. And so um, the first thing that we looked at was the event barn and um, decided to, you know, see how that would run for events. And so little that took about four or five years. And then when the equestrian team left, we decided to up, build that nicely for um, an event space for people to stay on weekend. The, the round barn was filled with um, birds all nesting in the air and lawnmowers. And so we decided to clean all that out and restore the historic quality of it. And then we were able to use that, you know, for weddings and that kind of things. And we could involve the community and help, you know, pay the bills. It just kind of built a little bit at a time. The Blums appreciate the history of St. Joseph's Farm. And it often comes back to visit them. Every person who comes back and say, we just like to look around because we were, we had some history here. Uh, you get a, a different story from every single person. Some are very, very happy. Some, unfortunately, are sad. And some are just historic. They just want to uh, remember. But uh, you never hear those stories anyplace else. They are very, very personal. Well, there are lots of stories. The railroad came through, and folks would come off the railroad the, uh, the hitchhikers, the hobos, and the brothers would take them in and said, why don't you work for a while? And they'd stay and they'd work for a while, earn some keep. Brother Kenny Allen, 
19 years old, he came, and they gave him a questionnaire. They said, there's three things, what do you want to do? And he said, one farm, two farm, three farm. And he's about 89, 90 years old. We met him about five or six years ago. He built, he was here for 19 years. He said this was his home. He built the shop, built some other buildings. So that's, that's quite a guy right there. We went to his 60th Jubilee. It was a great event. The scope of the vocations was so incredible. Like just walking into the event barn, you could almost like hear the noises and experience the blood, sweat, and hard work that was such an amazing vocation that these guys had for so long. And the work that they did was just unbelievable. You can just kind of feel it when you come. And, and they come here to look and, and all, I mean, they, they lived here for 20, 30, 40 years, some of them. And, and this was their whole vocation in life, you know, and, and it, it goes so unrecognized, I feel like, a lot, you know, with, with what, they, what they gave of their lives, you know, to feed the students at Notre Dame. You know, I mean, it's, and it was their vocation in life and they were proud of it and they worked hard and they did a good job. So they come here with all sorts of like emotions, you know, it's more, the most fun when the brothers come through and mm -hmm. look and, and tell all the stories about working in the vineyard or plowing the fields or picking out the Holsteins for the, the cattle and the cows. And it's, it's, it's pretty cool. You meet a lot of interesting people. Other neighbors will come to the farm with memories of going to mass in the chapel that is now the Blum's living room. I mean, it started out as a chapel and... 1925. 1925, and a lot of the surrounding farmers came here and brought their families. You know, people will stop by and say, oh, we used to come to the chapel for Mass, and I was baptized there, and I had my first communion there, and, and this is the house we're living in, you know? And you say, oh my gosh, you know? And so a lot, of, a lot of neighboring people and a lot of people who just came here, like the brothers would have a pumpkin patch, and they would come here and pick pumpkins, and it was very open and welcoming to everybody. One, um, but they started the chapel here and then saw a much greater need of having a parish here. And that's when the, they, they had petitioned the bishop and that's when he said they could start St. Pius. So they renamed the, the St. Joseph Chapel, St. Pius Church. Constant change is the only thing that remains the same on the farm. The history is one of adapting to new technology and new realities. While much is gained, some things are lost too especially the traditions of religious farms. Marquita Chambly knew St. Joseph's farm well in her youth because her father was the doctor for the brothers' community. She is now an associate provost and chief diversity officer at Wayne State University. She grew up visiting the farm for meals and Sunday mass and then worked there during her college summers from 1976 to 1979. I started out as a pre-veterinary major and one of the things they suggested was, you know, get a job working at a vet clinic. Like I asked my dad if he would introduce me to the people at the farm so that I could work, you know, on the farm and work with the animals there. And so that's kind of how I got um, involved in working there. They kind of tolerated me. <laughs> um, I had a variety of duties. I mean, I would, I mostly uh, helped out with with helping to feed the cattle, with helping to um, provide. Um, straw for bedding for the cattle and and pretty much kind of anything that they asked me to do that I couldn't get into too much trouble. Uh, I remember I painted. Um, I did some some. Um, I sometimes helped out in the kitchen. I mean, I pretty I helped out in the garden. I did a variety of things. Some of them were agricultural and some of them were 
a little bit more mundane than that. Chambly said the farm had a kind of mystic spirituality that she remembers well. Well, there, there are two levels to that. One is that as a religious community, um, they had a noon meal. That always included a, a trip up to the chapel, either before or right after the meal, and just, you know, quick prayer. And, and I think I was just impressed by that, by the level of commitment that these, that these men had to their faith. And, um, and then I also saw a real deep connection to the land. The point is the religious community was, was an active part of, of taking care of that land and of, of being taken care of by that land. And so to me, the spiritual was at two levels. These were brothers, so they, they were celibate and all the stuff that goes along with, with the priesthood, only they weren't priests. And so they really dedicated their, their lives to, to, to service and to their faith. But also, you know, these men were farmers, too. You know, not all of them, but a fair number of them were actually farmers. And so, so they had the opportunity to live their faith and live their, both their vocation and where we're all kind of melded together in ways that I thought were really kind of special. Chambly developed a mentor relationship with the last brother to run the farm, Brother Donald Dunleavy. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. So... I would accompany uh, Brother Donald down to sell livestock down in Logansport. And so we would go to the sale. It was so you can imagine it was me and this, you know, him and this little brown girl, you know, going to this place that was this full of white men, right? <laughs> the occasional woman. So uh, after we sold our cattle, Brother Donald sent me to to go to the office to pick up the, the check for, for the sale of the cattle. And I went in and, and um, somebody who was in there waiting for me, you know, waiting for his check said, oh, I didn't know that, there were, that they had women or something on the farm. And I said, oh yeah, I, I integrated and liberated at the same time. And so I don't think he knew what to make of that. I was kind of his little sidekick. And he just was kind of a, a mentor in, in some very unique ways. I think we had a very unique relationship and, and I appreciated that and stayed connected to him. And in fact, when I went, the last time I saw him, you know, was out at the farm and, and I felt that he in some ways had been abandoned out there, you know, that they sold off the farm and they sold off the equipment and they, stopped actively farming and here's this man who spent his whole life farming that land kind of with nothing to do you know just sitting there babysitting the place you know at one point i harbored a fantasy that i was gonna win the lottery and buy it myself partly because you know i i thought it was it deserved being preserved i hope that whether it's the solar piece or you know St. Joseph's Silver, which I find interesting. You know, I, I hope that some pieces of it remain and, and uh, that legacy continues in some form. The solar piece is the latest example of the property's adaptation to the modern age. A new partnership carries on the tradition of the farm fueling the campus with a modern twist. Indiana Michigan Power officially opened a $37 million solar project there. St. Joseph's Solar Farm will provide clean energy credits equal to 10% of the university's total demand for electricity, helping Notre Dame meet its goals around clean, renewable energy. 
Paul Kempf, Assistant Vice President for Utilities and Maintenance at Notre Dame, said the project's name is an appropriate homage to what it was long ago. The power company's proposal made sense to him. We've tried really hard to you know, get off coal, build a hydro project, use geothermal, all those other things where we actually reduce our carbon. And they said, what if we could do something that was closer to campus? It may still have sort of a, it isn't technically those electrons that get to us, but you would have that connection. We're the, we're the anchor tenant, right? I mean, you, you used to be, you'd sign up the Macy's and the Sears and the Pennies, the big, bigger stores. So by having, having us, and, and that's the way INF did it, they, they had the, uh, a vision to locate some solar projects in different places in the state. They were aware of our sustainability plan. You know, as they built it, pieces of it came up by, I think, March 31st, they were fully operational. Brother Paul Kelly sees the solar project as bringing to a full circle the relationship between Notre Dame and St. Joseph's Farm. The place that fed the campus for years is now bringing it a different kind of fuel. We took care of them at the beginning and now we're, and now we're providing power for them. There's their energy, 